the correct mentor shortens your learning curve exponentially. They should be there to walk you through everything. They should be available to you, but it's really hard to find a mentor that's like that, right? So you have to be able to add some value to them for all the value that you're going to extract. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. All right. Welcome to the Surgeon Syndicate. Today's show is sponsored by Fortress Capital, a private equity company that I founded to help physicians build passive income through commercial real estate. Being a physician is a high-stress job, and building passive income streams is key to not feeling trapped in that job. Build your financial fortress with Fortress Capital. All right, today we are here with Tan Trong. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Nailed it. All right. Tan, I met at a real estate conference a little while back and was part of a group of people that really changed my path and got started outside of the multifamily and residential space. So, Tan, tell us a little bit more about you. Oh, God, where do we start? I'm pretty much the most uninteresting guy on earth. So <laughs> let's see. So I'm born and raised in Cincinnati, still located here. For those who are listening, I'm of an Asian descent. I'm Vietnamese. So growing up, an education was really big in our family. The reason being, my parents never really had a formal education. So their mentality behind it is if you work really hard, get good grades, go to a great college, have a great career. And then from that point, that career essentially takes care of you for the rest of your life, right? So typical Asian kid back in the day, just trying to get A's and whatnot. And if you don't get an A, you're pretty much disowned. So I would say I excelled through school, but probably not because I was smart or anything. It was just because I had a really strong work ethic. So grew up in pretty humble parts of Cincinnati and went through a lot of adversity and whatnot. But throughout that, my parents were able to transition us from a more humble part of town to a better part of town where there's better education, which essentially gives you better opportunities. So from there, I was able to pursue pharmacy. Originally, I actually wanted to go to med school. I'm not going to say I wanted to go to med school. It was kind of instilled in me to go to med school. So hearing that day in and day out, that was pretty much the plan in middle there, school, high school, et cetera, right? There might be a few docs out there who found themselves on the same course. Yeah. It was I, charted I, for them. Wouldn't doubt it at all. <laughs> so in high school, we're starting to talk about our path in college to transition into a career, right? So in my mind, yeah, med school, right? But then I'm starting to think about it. Do I really want to go to med school? And probably 85% of me was saying, no, you don't want to go to med school. And the reason why I was not really too interested in going to med school was because of the time and commitment that's actually required. So as most of your listeners know, you're going in for a bachelor's degree in college for undergrad, and then you got your four years of grad and then residency after that, depending upon the specialty, right? Yep. So I thought, man, that's a long time to be reading books, studying, and just pounding my head on the desk every day. I think I'd rather rub a cheese grater against my forehead. 
So from a timing aspect there, I kind of looked at other options, like something that would appease my parents, but wouldn't take me as long. So that's when I stumbled upon pharmacy. And being in Cincinnati, our program here at the University of Cincinnati was a six-year program. So you could do a two-year undergrad through their program and then transition into their grad program for another four years. Now, obviously, residency, aside from that, you tack on whatever amount of years for whatever specialization. But for me, the six years looked a lot more appealing than an eight-year program, considering you're saving two years. And on top of that, you're not racking on so much debt. So I guess to end my little spiel there, I graduated pharmacy school back in 2017. And from there, started learning. Actually, while I was in pharmacy school, I was learning about ways to have money work for me, trying to learn how to invest in the stock market, things like that. Started hoarding any and all information that I could gather. And that essentially naturally led me into real estate. And yeah, here I am today in commercial real estate. So I've heard this story before, but I think it's a great story. So you finished school and started as a pharmacist, but you made a pivot rather quickly, which is hard to do after you put all the time and money into school. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, through my upbringing, I would say, once again, it's very simple, right? Go to college, get a good degree, get a good job, and then just live your life until retirement. You got great benefits, live off the benefits, et cetera. So when I mentioned that I was hoarding all this information about investing, you kind of absorb into self-development and business too, right? So through that, I learned that your time is really worth a lot of money. Like You can't really put a quantitative value on that time, right? Some people probably can, but in reality, it's worth a lot more than any dollar amount because no dollar amount can buy you back an hour ago or a minute ago or a second ago, right? You could be the richest guy on earth and you still couldn't do that. You could save time going forward, yes, but you can't buy anything back. So my philosophy is that with that particular mindset, I don't want to be doing something for the next 40 years or 30 years and retire at normal age of 65, right? And I want to live my life now while I'm able to versus when you're at 65, obviously time takes its toll and you're a little bit more limited on what you can do, right? You can probably go skydiving. Can't do some of the stuff that you do at 25, 30, right? So basically with that in mind, I put into place a plan to figure out how do I get out of this rat race and essentially continue to live my life how I want to live my life on my own terms, right? So that's what made me so hungry to go out and look for all the information that I could and started into investing in real estate at a younger age than some, I would say. So yeah, I practiced pharmacy for probably my last day was New Year's Eve of 2020. I graduated 17, so roughly three years, two and a half years or so. And I jumped ship straight into real estate and haven't looked back yet. What's crazy about that, and I think what hits a lot of people, by the time I finished school, I felt like I needed to get my return on investment from school. And it was really hard to get to the other side of like, wait a minute, that's a sunk cost. That's time spent. And is it worth leaving, giving more time to something versus less? 
I guess the stress level that I was not going to be a doctor who could practice till he was 70. But it took me longer to start looking for other things and for an exit or a partial exit. So did you take any slack about changing careers after three years? Or did everybody pat you on the back and go, wow, that's a great idea? No, I mean, it really depends on who you're surrounding yourself around, right? If you're around other pharmacists, they're probably like, what the hell are you doing? Just wasted six years to practice for two and a half, right? But if you're surrounding yourself with people that are in business or in the real estate world, I think they understand that your time is worth a lot. Your freedom is worth a lot. And you want to do something that you truly, truly love, right? And I'll step back a little bit. I'm not encouraging every doctor to jump ship and go straight into real estate, right? At the end of the day, you have to kind of do an audit on yourself. Look at what you're doing. Look at why you're doing it. And assess whether or not you actually love what you're doing. If you love what you're doing, you're not working a day, right? You're having fun doing what you're doing, right? Now, if you don't love what you're doing, yeah, do what I did, right? Do something that you do actually love. Go on a yacht, go on trips, go vacationing, things like that, right? So luckily, I surrounded myself with people that thought kind of the same in terms of the time and freedom aspect. So with those people, they congratulated the hell out of me. They're like, way to go, man. You're doing awesome. Keep doing it. And I will say my pharmacy friends, they are catching on. Like they're starting to understand why I do it. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, once again, I think figuring out your why and figuring out what you're passionate about is super important because I did mention that, yeah, I don't want to work for 40 years in the pharmacy realm. And I had my reasons behind that. Main reason being during the COVID era, the COVID season, if you will, the quality of life during practice was absolutely miserable with all the garbage that kind of went on, you know, people not working because they're getting paid more from the government. So you're understaffed. They're trying to make you do twice the amount of work, all this, all that. Right. So it definitely adds a lot of gray hairs. So I think that kind of pushed me to go into real estate a lot quicker. And I think I'm grateful for it, or I could have sat there and suffered for a little bit longer and saved some more money. You know, that's interesting that you say, well, I'm not encouraging everybody to leave. But once you start developing that other income stream, whether it's investing passively or doing your own deals, and you have your money working for you, it gives you the freedom to say, if the world changes and you love being a pharmacist or you love being a doctor, and all of a sudden now you're like, I don't love this situation, or you work for a hospital that gets sold or they get a new CEO or there's a change in the dynamics that makes it not what it was. Or you have kids, you want to spend more time with your kids or your spouse or your friends or whatever, or just focus on your own health. If you have the ability to now say, I'm going to do what I want to do, or I'm going to be a doctor, pharmacist, but I'm going to work only 40 hours a week, not 60 or 30 or 20 and buying that freedom, or I'm going to quit being a doctor altogether. Those are all steps. It's a scary thing. As I started down this road, I've heard some interesting things from doctors that a lot of them are like, you can't do that. Can't tell you how many times I've heard. You can't do that. It doesn't fit in the paradigm the same. Yeah. With those type of arguments, I would say, why not? Or why don't you start 
transitioning yourself to asking how can you do it instead of pushing people down like don't give them just one side be open to other scenarios be open to other viewpoints right as a practitioner i think that's super important and it's kind of ingrained within schools too right during your graduate programs etc or residencies you're never 100% right right you could have a strong inclination that you're right but there's always continuous studies and that shows different angles different treatments right you could have one treatment x saying that okay this is at this point in time it is 76% effective but then literally another study could come out 6 months from now and we're like we were completely wrong <laughs> right we should have went with this drug or this procedure or treatment etc so that's what i would say <laughs> well and you said not if you should or how this is one of my favorite books, The Who, Not How. So you ask that question. So you decided to make this transition. Tell us about how you made that transition. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I started investing in 2018. I partnered up with some other pharmacists who were like-minded, and we started buying up small multifamilies and single families. And our primary objective was buy and holds. So then we transitioned into burrs and wholesaling. So that essentially helped me with building up a good cushion of capital to where I was able to step away fully. So at that moment in time, I didn't have a consistent income coming in. My position is a little bit different than others. My living expenses are very minimal, right? I think it's about when you count in all the expenses and whatnot for housing, utilities, et cetera, it's about 1500 bucks, not counting groceries. So let's call it $2,000, right? So with the cushion that I had, I calculated out, oh, I got this much time. Like I got to figure it out Like or I got to go back to the W2 job, right? So that was my start. And from there, with those original partners, we were starting to get to the point where we were butting heads in terms of just opposition on who was doing more, who should be compensated, et cetera. So in a sense, the morale was changing and the views on how the business should be ran was not cohesive nor linear. So from there, as soon as we sold all of our properties, and I think I sold our last one back in beginning of 22, but at that point, I no longer had these partners and I transitioned into learning more about commercial real estate and specifically non-residential commercial real estate. So we're talking retail, office, warehouses, industrial. So warehouses being industrial. And then in retail, you have tons of other classifications like strip malls, neighborhood shopping centers, et cetera. So that was always interesting to me, but I never understood it enough. I did the same tactics. I looked online, tried to find as much free information as I could. And everything was just super rudimentary. It was very basic, teaching you NOI and things like that, right? Like you could buy an apartment book, a multifamily book, and it'll teach you the same thing because technically apartments are commercial, right? But I wanted to learn like, how do I buy a strip mall? Like, how do I buy a Wendy's? How do I buy a building with one of these awesome larger tenants, right? So no avail through the searching, I found actually a local mentor. And through that mentor, I was able to learn everything that I do today. So now I'm 100% in commercial, don't have non-residential commercial and no 
residential buildings or investments in my portfolio. It's interesting, the difference, and maybe this is if there's a young doc, somebody who's younger out there and they're feeling that like, oh, I spent this money. If I don't get this education, my older daughter just finished high school and she's worried that, oh, if I go to my freshman year of college and I decide to do something different, I wasted that money. So I think a lot of people feel that I already spent it. I got to use it. But one of the advantages from what you said is you made the decision early. You didn't stick with the job and then buy a bigger house or a boat or insurance policy or all these things that start stacking up. And then if you go, well, maybe I don't need to make so much money. And then you look and you look at all these things and you're like, oh man. And now you got to pare it back down and it can be done. But if somebody's looking early that you still have the freedom then of not having built in all the things that you have to support yet. So that's a cool thing. But back to the mentor. So how much or on a timeline and a frustration line did having a mentor help? How did that change things? Man, if I had to go back and do it over, I'd do it 1000 times over. A mentor, the right mentor, the correct mentor, I should say, because you could have the wrong mentor and everything could go south very quickly. The correct mentor shortens your learning curve exponentially. So without the mentor, I probably would not know 10% of what I do today. Though they should be there to walk you through everything. They should be available to you. They should be giving you a trajectory on how you get to your goals on building a plan to get you from point A to point Z, right? But it's really hard to find a mentor that's like that, right? So you have to be able to add some value to them for all the value that you're going to extract. Yes, your main objective is to learn as much as you can from this mentor and learn to do what he does, et cetera. And I harp on this a lot. Everybody out there in real estate, not in real estate, let's say docs, docs and real estate businessmen, they're all busy as hell, right? What makes you think that you just reach out to them and just say, hey, can you be my mentor? What makes you think that they're going to say yes amongst all their busy doings, surgery, seeing patients, running, operating businesses, accounting, right? That's just the wrong way to do it. So finding the right mentor, you have to be able to add enough value to the mentor. And you also have to assess whether or not that mentor has the capability to get you where you want to be in terms of goals or whatever, right? Expanding your network or helping you with deals, things like that. But I am 100%, let's say 150% a proponent of finding a mentor because it saves you a lot of time and they are there when you need them. So when you say add value, and this is as a doc, sometimes you're like, okay, now I can give you a prostate exam. <laughs> One for me, please. <laughs> How do you add value or your kid? You don't have a big skill set. What did you offer your mentor? I mean, and how did you approach that? I mean, when you got a hold of them, you're like, I need a mentor, but what can I do for you? How did you approach that? That is essentially it. But from my perspective, I had to essentially creepingly Facebook stalk my mentor to get a hold of them. It's one through persistence. You're not going to get it on the first go, right? Some of them are going to be dicks, right? Some of them are just going to be like, nope, can't do it. You're SOL, right? Or if they're nice, they're like, hey, man, I just don't have the time. I can't do it, right? 
But for me, it was more so the persistence of keeping on reaching out to them and just through social media. If they have a presence on social media, look at their Facebook, creep on them. Like, what do they do? What do they like to do? Offer them something that they want to do. Like, and if after everything they say no, find another tactic, right? Show up to their house, show them that you're serious, right? Or you can find a lot of information from people on their social media. Sometimes they're voicing an issue that they're having, a problem that they're working on, or something with their property, right? Find out what their biggest problem is and solve it. And just like what you said, Mike, you ask targeted questions on what they're doing and what their bottleneck is, what their struggles are. Learn everything that you can about what makes them tick or how you can be a part of their operations or how you can solve all their problems or whatever problem is the most important. So for me, for my Facebook creeping, I luckily got a hold of him. And this was a weekend. He was at his lake house. So I drove an hour and a half out to go see him. I'm like, look, I don't care where you are. You could be in Antarctica. I'll fly there right now, 30 minutes of your time, whatever. Right. So that hour and a half drive and then that supposedly 30 minute meeting turned into eight hours. And just through our face-to-face interaction there for 30 minutes, I never once told them what my problems were. I never told them what I wanted or what I need. I was consistently asking him about his business and how he's operating it right now. What are his issues? What can I do to help? And it could be something very small. Here's another pro tip. Like when you go meet with somebody, don't bring your phone. (laughs) So I left my phone in the car, right? So just to seize any and all want or desire to check it, right? And I wanted to get my full focus to the mentor. So I mentioned that because sometimes when you do have your phone as a positive, so you can take notes, but it comes off as rude, right? So I had to really, really trigger in the short-term, long-term memory there. Ah, and go old school and bring a pad and paper to take notes. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I essentially just memorized everything there. And the next day I worked diligently to find out ways to solve some of his problems. And that I think gained a lot of respect from the mentor. And mm-hmm. we're great friends today and we do some deals together as well. So it goes a long yeah, way. I think that's a tough thing for docs that you get into this cycle where you're supposed to make a plan and the plan's supposed to work. And there's not a lot of times that you're supposed to try and fail where you're saying like you're trying to get in front of people and you're trying to offer them value and you don't know how you're going to do that. And it's a hard thing once you're in practice and you're used to being the expert and you got to step back and be like, I'm not the expert anymore. And I'm going to try and get this person to talk to me. And they might be like, oh, you're an idiot. What do you want? You've got a great job. Why are you hassling me? And going through different people until you find the person that will work as your mentor. I think that could be a tough one. But another part as a doc is you do find creative solutions to problems all the time. And sometimes a patient comes to you and they've got something that doesn't present like it was in the textbook, or you're doing a surgery and things aren't where they're supposed to be. They never are. So once in a while, you find the netter's textbook that everything looks like it did in the textbook. You do have to figure it out as you go. And I just thought of that when you were saying, asking, what's your biggest problem? What do you need help with? Because I think that is a skill that most doctors have is once somebody gives you their problem, you can help figure it out. And it might just be like, I need somebody to pick up the trash behind this warehouse. If you're a 20-year-old kid, you're like, I'll do that. All right. 
but 40 year old but doctor. from a doctor perspective, it's kind of different, right? It's like, man, I'm not going to go pick up trash, right? Imagine a doctor in a white coat going back in a warehouse and picking up trash. What a sight, right? <laughs> yeah. But if this guy says like, oh yeah, you're a doctor. You say you want me to mentor you and you ask me what I need help with. I need somebody to help me pick this stuff up. And you're like, all right. And you go do it. They're like, okay, all right. Now we're talking. This is a guy who's ready to get his hands dirty and learn something. Yeah. So with doctors, I would say it's probably a little bit more challenging. There was a joke in my psych rotation that doctors are more narcissistic than not. So it's hard to find a more humble doctor than not. In my experience, and I'm not saying this is from everybody, they're the head honcho, right? You got your director, et cetera, your chief or whatever attending, and they're the ones that everything kind of relies on. They're manning the ship, right? They're supposed to know everything, right? So from that aspect, I think going into the mentorship, looking for a mentor, presenting yourself that you're actually below that mentor in terms of not knowing as much as them could be challenging. I 1000% agree. I think it can be taught. You can humble yourself to know that. Once you're able to do that, I should say, I think the world opens up right? It's just like looking at things from different viewpoints, not realizing that you could be wrong. You're not 100% correct, right? So humility is going to be a big factor for probably some docs out there. Yeah. Well, and it's something new to dig into. All right. So this has been some great stuff on the process and the mindset and some of the shift for doing this for docs. So that's going to be it for today's show. Please come back and join us for the second half of the interview. And we're going to dig into some of the deals that Tan is doing and get to some real estate specific stuff. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better. So I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.